there's a renewed sense of taking the decorative out of the decorative arts and showing these as objects of human creativity and ingenuity of human artistry. They're not shown as chairs on the floor. You certainly don't sit in them. It is on a pedestal. And and the importance of a pedestal is of to set the work aside and say, yes, this was you know, this was once a functional object, but let's appreciate it for what this design meant at the time and what it means now. What is, how has this design changed what comes after it? Hi, I'm Dan Rubenstein, and this is The Grand Tourist. I've been a journalist for nearly 20 years, most recently as the home and design director at Departures Magazine. And this is my personalized guided tour through the worlds of fashion, art, architecture, food, and travel all the elements of a well-lived life. As the pandemic drags on and the world slowly starts to open up again, there's one thing I'm looking forward to this fall more than anything else, the return of the art fair. More than just a market, art fairs today are places to discover new talents, learn insights from a variety of new voices, and experience a range of curatorial experiences. And the people watching isn't that bad either. One of my favorite fairs is Freeze Masters that takes place each fall in London. Started in 2012, the fair is a sister show to the contemporary Freeze London, and both take place in Regent's Park. Strolling between the two fairs and the bucolic park is worth the trip itself. For me, contemporary fairs can be frenetic and sometimes overwhelming. Entering Freeze Masters, however, the mood shifts. There are fewer sneakers to be seen, and thigh-high leather riding boots are a common sight. The fair focuses on historical art and displays it in a contemporary context. For the lover of all things antique and beautiful without a hint of hype, this fair is a real delight. This leads me to my guest for this episode, the artistic director of Freeze Masters, Nathan Clements Gillespie. Nathan was raised in Rome, studied at Oxford, interned at the Peggy Guggenheim Collection in Venice, and worked for various art fairs and institutions before joining Freeze in 2017. This fall, the fair returns with a new section called Standout that further explores the blurring boundaries between art, design, and the decorative arts. In the frenetic and often confusing world of collecting, I see Nathan as a kind of North Star. I spoke with him this spring about the future of the art fair, the rapidly shifting role of design in the world of collecting, and just why historical art has become, dare we say it, sexy again. Freeze Masters is showing historical art for sale uh, in in a contemporary context. So it's really it's it's a it's a physical manifestation, if you will, of looking at the art of the past through the eye of the present. And when you know when my colleague Victoria Siddle was was looking to launch Freeze Masters as a new concept back in 2012, the idea was to work with Annabelle Zeldorf, who you know remains uh, today as the as the fair's architect, to show really art history, everything from Greek, Roman, Egyptian, even Chinese antiquities, through to the masters of the 20th century in a in a neutral contemporary context. So that means taking old master pictures and showing them on gray walls and showing a Rubens, a Greek Cycladic sculpture, and a Picasso oil all together and against that same neutral for lack of a better word, modern background, to show a younger audience, to show collectors of contemporary art that you don't need to live in a historical or historicized setting to appreciate historical art. You don't need to live in a castle in Bavaria 
to enjoy old master pictures. These look great in a Manhattan penthouse, if that makes sense. Nathan, since we're coming up on the first 10 years or so of Freeze Masters, to an outsider, there have been so many changes in the art world. Uh, today, is has historical art become almost cool? To me, it's been much more accepted and celebrated, but I'd love to hear your take on it. Absolutely. And I think I think as, as, as we can see, so, so much of this is cyclical. So, you know, you know, speaking, speaking to dealers, especially to old master dealers, they'll say that the, you know, that really, you know, the boom years, the, the golden years of their trade were the, were the 1980s, which of course, you know, we're, we're all, you know, base, you know, more or less children of the 1980s. So we're, we're, we're too young to have experienced that firsthand. Uh, but that was really, you know, for them, the last period when it, first of all, there was great supply in the market. Because let's not forget that every, you know, every old master and, you know, to an extent now, every Picasso that is sold to an institution is, is a Picasso, is, a, is, a, is an old master, is an artwork that's leaving the market. And so that supply shrinks and shrinks and shrinks um, as the, you know, as the years go by. So the 80s, you know, for old, you know, this is for, you know, specifically for old masters, you know, Dutch, French, Flemish, uh, Italian, Spanish old master pictures, the 80s were seen as that golden period when there were, when there were great works available on the market. And also that was the, you know, that was the taste and, and great prices were being fetched. And I think, I think what we're seeing now is that, that, a renewed appreciation for historical art. And, you know, part of that is cyclical, part of that is taste, but part of that is, is a big part of that is also the work of curators, of museums, of, you know, look at what, look at what the Frick is now doing with the Frick Madison. I mean, it's, it's astonishing. It's, 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 it's stunningly beautiful. And the Frick Madison is, is them during their renovation for those that don't know, temporarily moving their storied collection into this Marcel Breuer building on the Upper East Side, not too far away, where you're seeing this historic artwork and these master's paintings in a totally very sort of mid-century modern almost setting, gray walls, you know, super spare. Designed by Annabelle Zeldorf. Sound familiar? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Annabelle Seldorf also, it seems to become so influential um, in her work in terms of the art world almost more so than you could say our architecture. I hope she doesn't mind me saying that. How she's created this language of architecture for in the context of viewing art and for the art world. What do you think her impact has been? Annabelle has... And, you know, she's an amazing architect. She has a great eye and a great sensitivity to art. You know, I, I think it's no, uh, I don't think it, 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 it's, it's, it's no coincidence that, you know, she spent time, uh, well, now two years ago, um, as a, you know, as a, as a fellow of the American Academy in Rome with a, you know, with a studio in their, in their, you know, McKim Mead and White, uh, you know, building on the Janiculum Hill overlooking the city of Rome. And she gave, uh, you know, a few, you know, extraordinary lectures to the, you know, to the community there. And, you know, it's, it, she's obviously somebody who is inspired by and passionate uh, about the art of the past and, and reinterpreting it in a, um, you know, in a, in a, in a, in a contemporary lens. And that shows, I think, you know, in the, in the work she's been doing with, with Freeze Masters, 
uh, you know, since 2012. I mean, let's, you know, let's not forget that when, you know, when Freeze Masters launched, uh, you know, Annabelle's concept of showing old masters on gray walls was, was, you know, considered revolutionary. You know, old masters were shown on red walls. They were shown on, on silk damask walls on a lot of velvet and silk. Velvet, yeah. exactly. And so the, the whole, you know, her whole point, um, you know, which I hope she doesn't mind me paraphrasing and interpreting is, you know, you don't, you don't need that. It, it, you know, it looks, it looks great on velvet and silk, but look at how great these works also look on gray walls in a, in a contemporary setting. And also how I think empowering for all the works of art to be able to show different mediums in different periods against the same backdrop. And to me, that's what's powerful about the Frick Madison, is that you see an El Greco, you know, against against a gray wall with, you know, the just the perfect lighting, just enough, not too much. But you also see a boule cabinet. And, you know, boule they, they were uh, boule were a French family of uh, of cabinet makers uh, you know, for the, for the French royal court over you know, many generations. And, you know, they, they, they crafted these, these incredible, I mean, you know, yes, it's, it, okay, it's technically furniture, but it's, 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 it's truly a sculptural work of art. And to me, what was interesting at the Frick Madison is that you're seeing, you're seeing that bull dresser on a, you know, on a pedestal against the gray wall is, alongside other sculptures that are displayed in the same way. And so you look at it, or at least I looked at it in a different way than I would in a, you know, in a, in a wood paneled and gilded room on, uh, you know, on a French or Oriental carpet with, you know, other, other objects and, and other uh, paintings and other artworks around it. Before we return to Nathan, I'd like to thank our sponsor, B&B Italia a leader in luxury designer furniture. Founded in 1966, the company stands out for its representation of contemporary culture and for its research and innovation, which has allowed the brand to create products with unique style and elegance. The brand is the fruitful partnership between the company's research and development center in Northern Italy and the best international design professionals. The iconic products of B&B Italia radically mark the history of design. The brand has so many legendary pieces. And there's one to fit every personality. If I had to suggest an icon of B&B Italia to Nathan Clements Gillespie, I would suggest the Toby Ishii table by British designers Edward Barber and Jay Oscarby. Available in various colors and materials, this monumental table is inspired by Zen gardens and looks like a chic Brancusi sculpture you could dine on. I'm sure that Nathan would appreciate its elegance, its simplicity, and its classical appeal that transcends styles and periods. Speaking of icons, which one is right for your personality? Visit bebitalia.com for more information. What can you tell by going to an art fair in terms of what's being sold? Do you do you have an anthropological sort of like bone in your body the way that I sometimes do when I go to a design fair and I'm seeing what's being sold? Um can you tell what can you tell about a society that we're in by what is actually on offer, you know, in a given year? Thank you. That that that's fascinating. And it actually is 
It actually is. It it is something that I do every time I visit. Uh, I visit an art fair, and I think a fair a fair certainly tells you a lot about its host context. That being the city, the region, the audience. You know, when you go to uh, when when you go to when you go to Tefaf in Maastricht, there is you know understandably there is gorgeous Delftware. There are scores and scores of Rembrandt etchings, but there are also you know musical instruments, um, and these are you know m- many of these things one would one would think of as as being. Uh, as being quite characteristic of of the you know of the middle European context uh, in which in which Maastricht is set, if you if you go to um, say you know Fiac in Paris, you see works that are very that are very elegant that you know you can you you can close your eyes and you know imagine yourself in a you know, in, in, in a sunlit Parisian apartment with this, you know, beautiful photograph or this, you know, very, very elegant canvas or sculpture, um, you know, on your wall, you know, by your, by your window facing the, you know, the, the, the Tuileries garden, say, if you're particularly lucky. Uh, when you, when you visit, uh, Freeze, you know, when you visit Freeze London, the contemporary fair, uh, you are, you know, you are struck by just you know the raw energy and dynamism and excitement of the of the works. It is you know it is very much a reflection of of a city that can be elegant in the West End, but also gritty, uh, you know, creative and you know complex in the you know in the East End or uh, you know south of the river where so many artist studios are located. And when you you know when you when you see Freeze Masters. You know, I remember the first time I visited the fair. Actually, the first year, you know, in, in 2012 when it launched, uh, being struck by the the elegance with which the fair brought together artistic representations and manifestations from all over the world, from every you know geography, culture, and time period. In a way, just the way you know the city of London does itself. Nathan, as fairs evolve in their scope and execution, going digital in various ways, what is the value of a fair like Freeze Masters today? Well, I can say, you know, just speaking speaking personally, for me, one of the uh, the greatest discoveries about fairs in general, I think about Freeze Masters in particular, is the sense that you are. And I, I mean this in the you know in the best possible way. You're visiting a museum that's for sale, and what I mean by that is all of all of the works are of you know are of museum quality. They're they're exceptional exceptional works of art. They've been you know they've been vetted by museum experts, and what that means is uh, you know a whole you know, you know o- over thirty museum curators, directors, uh, you know university scholars have combed through the fair a day before it opens to make sure that each and every object is each and every painting, sculpture, everything is exactly what it says it is on the label, is by that artist, is from that period, uh, is authentic, is what it is. And, you know, to think that you can, that you can see all these, all these things and that maybe not all of them could be yours, but one of them could be. And that, you know, potentially, you know, with the, with the right budget, Everything is for sale, and it's even 
even if even if today, even if maybe never one has you know the twenty million to buy that Botticelli, I still find it so exciting that it actually is for sale. It is accessible. There that that there there isn't that barrier that you have in in an institution that you can only admire and uh, admiring is a wonderful thing and and you know quite rightly you know so you know many of the world's treasures are in public collections uh you know where where they where they can be uh you know admired and studied by everyone but it's so it's so exciting to see to see these works that that you know that you could potentially take home with you before we return to Nathan, I'd like to thank our sponsor, Arnimist. Arnimist is the world's fastest growing online retail destination for exclusive Italian luxury design, decor, lighting, and gifts. Founded in 2015, Arnimist celebrates and preserves authentic Italian craftsmanship by providing a global platform for more than 1,000 independent producers, designer makers, and artisans and features thousands of exclusive products. The unparalleled online edit you find on Arnimist includes the most extraordinary Italian makers for which the country is world-renowned. Design lovers and casual shoppers alike can search through more than 50,000 items, and you can take a closer look with multimedia content such as 360-degree views, videos, and detailed descriptions of each maker's history and specialized techniques. Listeners to The Grand Tourist can enjoy 10% off at Artemist with the code the Grand Tourist. That's one word. So visit Artemis.com for more information. That's A-R-T-E-M-E-S-T.com. And, you know, if, if a painter looks at a painting, they're going to be looking for something different than probably you or I or, or uh, the average Joe, right? Um, as someone who is the ringleader for something like Freeze Masters, and I'm going to go to I'm going to go to the fair, you know, or someone who's never been to the uh, been to the fair before, um, and you were training them on how to do an art fair, like what to look out for, like what what do you do, like what do you tell them, what is the proper technique of going to a fair like that? The best the best technique is to have open eyes and an open mind. Be be prepared to to learn, to discover, uh, take time and talk to the dealers because they're passionate about what they do. They really love their subjects and their art and, and let them, let them speak to you. Um, but also uh, what, what I love to do is I love to see, you know, to walk into a fair and to see it aisle by aisle so that I don't miss anything, be it freeze masters or be it any fair. Uh, I like to just go, you know, go up and down. And, and just make sure that I've, that I've seen everything and also to, uh, to go down an aisle, but then come back up the same aisle because you'll see things in different ways. And it does, it doesn't necessarily have to take an incredible amount of time. Um, but just, you know, walk, walk through and, you know, just let, let your eyes take you, uh, from, from stand, you know, from stand to stand and, and stop when, when something when something speaks to you and and ask a question about it and wh- what about yourself do you collect anything at home i do i mean i started buying works uh from from artist friends you know art, you know friends from my own generation who were uh, uh, who were artists i have bought a, a, an old master drawing i've bought uh you know a very small 
um, antiquity, which I love. I sort of couldn't quite believe. What is it? What is it? It's a small Greek head of Hermes, and I I couldn't quite believe that. Uh, that I could buy something like that. And interestingly enough, um, the gallery displayed the price. And so I, I, I went up to it, uh, as it were, and I, I looked at the price and I thought to myself, well, actually, that's not, you know, we're, we're, we're not, I'm not there, but we're not a million miles apart. Like we can, we can have a conversation about this. I can, I can stretch a little bit and, and maybe they can help me out, which they did. What, what is a sort of a range from a, on the, on the more democratic, lower, whatever, however you'd like to turn the turn of phrase you'd like to use on the lower end uh, versus the higher end when you're talking about when a collector, because I, I honestly, like I've heard that many times that I think people assume that things like old masters and uh, paintings and things like that are, are not as um, absolutely unattainable when you compare them to, you know, some of the great mid-century modernists that kind of go for astronomical pricing. What, what is that kind of range today, so, so, say, you know, at the fair? So, yeah, no, no, absolutely. So, you know, for example, uh, you know, Sir Norman Rosenthal, eminent British uh, art historian, you know, former exhibitions director of the Royal Academy, uh, he, he purchased from uh, Ulrich Fiedler, who is a, you know, Ulrich Fieder and his wife are celebrating 35 years of their gallery. They're based in Berlin. And, uh, you know, they're, they're really at the forefront of showing, uh, 20th century furniture, but they, they, they show, they show these as, as sculptural objects. Uh, you know, on, on plinths, if the, you know, for example, often if the leather, if the canvas support has worn away, they won't restore it. So the chair may just be a tubular frame and you might not actually be able to sit in it, but it's about, it's about the form. It's about the artistry and the, and the innovation of the, of the design. And they had a, uh, you know, one of many beautiful presentations of Fries Masters from which Sir Norman Rosenthal acquired a, uh, um, a, a Dutch uh, sort of distill hat box from uh, a hatter in Antwerp. And I think, I think that was, you know, 500 pounds. Uh, but, you know, as, as, as Norman himself said, he said, you know, that could be, uh, you know, that, that could very well be a Mondrian. You know, it is totally, uh, you know, a distill artwork, you know, unquestionably. And I must say, you know, I, I've seen the hat box, um, you know, hanging, you know, installed in his, in his apartment and it looks, it looks magnificent. You know, it, it, it does look like his, uh, you know, like his little Mondrian. And, you know, on the, on the opposite end of the spectrum, uh, you know, for example, at Freeze Masters in 2019, um, you know, we had uh, a portrait by Botticelli uh, with an asking price of, of 20 million euros. Uh, but equally, you know, there are, uh, you know, there, there, there can be, you know, smaller, uh, you know, Dutch landscapes in the, you know, 20 to 30 uh, thousand, uh, thousand pound range. Uh, you know, they, they can also be in the hundreds of thousands of pounds. Uh, but that's, uh, you know, that's certainly a lot, a lot less, say, than, um, you know, a work by Saitwombly or Picasso or, or Bridget Riley. What is a great collector's home like? How do you know when you've stepped into a home? Is it really just about, you know, the rarity of pieces or, you know, what, what is a great collector's home like? You, you walk in. And it just, it's, it's hard. It just, some, some, something hits you. It's, 
you can you can feel you can feel their passion. I'd say probably for me, the 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 greatest collector's home remains um, the Peggy Guggenheim collection in Venice, and it's just that it's that breathtaking juxtaposition of the you know the building you know an unfinished uh an unfinished palazzo uh you know it doesn't even have a, a piano nobile it's just you know it's that it's that ground floor and that's it but it's it's perfect it's all on one level it's all it's all white it has this incredible view onto the onto the grand canal this beautiful light and and the works that, that that Peggy collected, and what's you know what I think is is I, I guess what we all think is amazing about Peggy is you know she was equal parts patron artist and dealer, and and that 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 result is 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 unique. For example, one thing I love you know to go back to the Frick collection when you think of the of the Frick uh, you know mansion on on Fifth Avenue is you see the you see the imprint of 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 so many great dealers there and and their eye, you know, in particular somebody like Lord Duveen, who was instrumental in in so many of the major works uh, that are in that are in the Frick collection. And I'd say that, you know, those are, you know, oftentimes, you know, the, the two greatest ingredients uh, in a collector. You know, one is the passion, but also is that that relationship uh, you know, with the dealer who who makes who makes every, you know, who makes all of that possible. And surely when you're talking about something like Freeze Masters, you must constantly run into the question of how you bring in young collectors, right? There must always be this sort of uh, constant drum roll of, you know, over at Freeze London, it's, you know, packed with young and hip people, and you're trying to kind of bring over uh, those newer, younger collectors into this into this master's tent. Um does that occupy a lot of your time during the year? And, and what do you think about sort of like this younger generation of, of collectors? How do you, how do you entice them in? I think we're, we're all looking at how to, you know, at how to engage uh, younger, younger audiences. I think, you know, a, a larger, I think a larger conversation is also to be had around, you know, where are there those, um, you know, for example, those, you know, be they art forms or music forms that, you know, appeal intrinsically to a younger audience and those that appeal intrinsically to an older audience and then, and that one quote unquote grows into. One thing that I've always been, uh, you know, fascinated by and also humbled by is the, you know, the interest in historical art, the interest in Freeze Masters on the part of contemporary artists. And we have, uh, you know, my, my favorite section of Freeze Masters magazine, which is called Artists, Artists, and where we ask contemporary artists to, uh, you know, to, 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 to reference a work, uh, you know, work of historical art, uh, you know, often in a, you know, in a museum collection that they, that they really admire, that they feel has inspired them. And so, you know, when you, you know, when you ask about engaging, you know, the younger audience that's at Freeze London, I'd say it's the it's the artists themselves, it's the artists exhibiting at Freeze London uh, that that are so often referencing um, art history, that are referencing works, uh, the types of works that are in Freeze Masters, or even the artists, uh, you know, the, the contemporary artists that that we invite to participate in the Freeze Masters Talks program, and who you know who speak with you know leading museum directors about you know the the influences of historical art on their own practice. 
And in terms of, you know, of course, in the past year, there's been a renewed sense of vigor in terms of representing, uh, you know, female artists, uh, artists of color, and giving them the attention um, that they deserve, which, of course, is a very different challenge for you since <laughs> the artists you're, that uh, Freeze Masters uh, presents are, are no longer living. Um, what has this, this past year been like in terms of uh, addressing these ideas of equity in the world of art? No, thank you. That's a, that's a very good question. And that's something that we have, um, actually for years been, been looking to address through our spotlight section, which looks at, so spotlight is, 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 is a section for, um, you know, either discovery or rediscovery artists, artists who, for reasons of race, gender, um, or, you know, geographical location or, you know, sexual orientation were overlooked during their time. And so it is about, it is about looking back at their work or at, at, a, at a specific body of work and, and, and shining a spotlight on it. Uh, so this, this year's spotlight is created again by Laura Hopman, who is executive director of the Drawing Center in New York. And prior to that, she was, uh, you know, a chief curator at, uh, at MoMA. And so we've seen many, uh, you know, many female artists, uh, many, you know, many, many artists of color, you know, artists like Ming Smith, like Gordon Parks, uh, Ben Nwonwu, or even Howardina Pindell, who have, who have come through Spotlight. In terms of collectors, uh, what, you know, how is, how are they reacting to, um, to this new era? Are they more mm -hmm. interested or they get our galleries getting more requests for, um, for different kinds of artists to collect? Are they trying to, you know, especially if we're talking about artists no longer living, um, are our collectors saying, you know, Hey, I want to diversify my collection, both in a literal and figurative sense, are they? You know, what is the collecting community requesting? You know, another another very good question. I think collectors collectors are are, are, are reacting to you know to what they you know to what they feel around them in in the art world, but also to what you know to the artist's own creativity and sense of and sense of urgency. And so, uh, you know, to me at least, I think part of that part of that passion is 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 really feeling and being you know being aligned with the you know with the creativity and where that creativity is coming from and so i think you know ma many collectors have felt and even more now after this year feel the urgency of the need to uh, you know, to empower artists from all different backgrounds and to, you know, to diversify their collections or even embark on entirely new collections, uh, to, you know, to champion, uh, both, you know, persons of color and, 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 and women artists. And I, I, I also, you know, I'm very grateful for the work of, of many, many writers, many curators who have been, you know, who have been doing that themselves and who have been helping through their, you know, through their research and through their publications of, you know, helping us expand, expand our horizons. Um, you know, I think, you know, for example, if somebody uh, like my colleague, Jennifer Higgy, who has a wonderful uh, podcast called Bow Down, who really, and she really gives life to the stories of female artists throughout the ages, uh, you know, artists who really deserve our attention. You know, in this period when we're all kind of reevaluating, uh, 
the events and the way we live and how, you know, where we live and how we live and what we live with. Um, in terms of the fair itself, you know, where do you think uh, any art fair, not necessarily Freeze Masters, but could be any art fair, where will it be in 10 years? Where do you think it's it's going? I think in 10 years, we'll be astonished by what what we will be looking back and saying, oh, wow, I didn't, I hadn't guessed, you know, this would be considered a master's in 10 years time. And I think we'll be astonished at, you know, on the contemporary side, all of the, you know, the new art forms I imagine we'll be seeing at art fairs, you know, digital art forms. And how are these represented? Are they on a screen? Are they, uh, you know, does it pop up on your, on your iPhone as you, you know, as you, as you, as you go by the stand? Will we even have iPhones or will it just be on our, you know, on our Apple watch? But art fairs are, you know, artworks are, are unique. And so to me, that, uh, that's why the art fair remains, uh, such a such a special and, and and such a beautiful context is because you're offering these you know these 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 unique works which in the case of of freeze masters are are tokens are are examples or manifestations of of our own human ingenuity uh, from you know from across millennia you know since since some of the earliest times and so it's it, it's beautiful and also moving to be able to to display these and to and to offer these works uh, for sale, so that you know any one of us might imagine themselves as 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 custodians of these of these exceptional objects. Thank you to Nathan and the team at Freeze for making this interview happen. Nathan, I await my personalized tour of Freeze Masters this fall when it returns from October thirteenth through seventeenth at Regent's Park in London. The editor of this episode is Stan Hall. Transcriptions are by Kara Johnson. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Grand Tourist. To keep this going, please follow me on Instagram at Dan Rubenstein to learn more. And don't forget to follow The Grand Tourist on Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to listen. And leave us a rating or comment. Every little bit helps. Till next time. Till next time.